Well, my message this morning is a uh, continuation of uh, the, our study in the gifts of the Spirit, uh, though not in the same way that I've been teaching on. Um, I'm really going to use uh, Joe's message a couple of weeks ago as a starting point today. Um, so because of that, I want to re- recap some of what Joe shared with us about the gifts of the Spirit um, when he taught two weeks ago. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's just two weeks ago. Um, you can go back and find it. It's an excellent message. Um, from especially based in the book of Isaiah, and uh, and he and he directed us to Isaiah eleven one through five, there, and and in verse two, he focused there where it reads, "The spirit of Adonai will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and insight, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of Adonai." And Joe took those gifts, the six gifts there, the six characteristics of the Spirit, and as he termed them, the classical gifts of the Spirit, um, which are unique from those that we've studied in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Um, And he expounded upon these gifts then, and so they are wisdom, insight, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So he expounded upon all of those, and as he taught on these, he called us to be filled with the Spirit that helps us to be doers of Torah. To be filled with the Spirit that helps us to be doers of Torah. Okay? And, and of course, any, any of the gifts of the Spirit should help us to be doers of Torah. It should be, help us to be following, to be obeying the instruction of God at its root level. If they're not then you're not using them appropriately. You're not operating them appropriately. Now, in his closing comments, Joe specifically focused on the spirit gifting of the fear of the Lord by reading from Psalm 34, 12 through 19. So that's where I'm going to start today. This is where he finished his message, and so I'm going to count this as part two of Joe's message. You're welcome, Joe. (laughs) Psalm 34, starting in verse 12. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of Adonai. Who is the one who delights in life, who loves to seek good day, see good days? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking treachery. Depart from evil and do good. Seek shalom and per- pursue it. The eyes of Adonai are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of Adonai is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and Adonai hears and delivers them from all their troubles. Adonai is close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. That's where he he finished his, his speaking there. And so we read in there about the fear of Adonai and about those who would keep their tongue from evil from speaking treachery, departing from evil, doing good. We, we read about some aspects of the fear of Adonai there. And he didn't really expound upon that. He spent the least amount of time on the fear of Adonai, and that's why I'm choosing to focus on it today. Um, and so I wanted to start by defining this and how I want to speak about it today in the fear of Adonai. Because there's a lot of ways that you can talk about the fear of the Lord. 
Um, we can start by, I want to start by looking at just the word used for fear in the Tanakh. I always like to kind of dig into some of the root languages. I think that's really important for us. Um, so again, plug for Doreen's Hebrew class next week. If you want to learn some of these, Doreen can teach you all these letters and give you a good understanding, a basic understanding of the, of the, the words that we're talking about here. And so the, the root word for fear in Hebrew is yara. Okay, Yod Resh uh, Aleph is, is how it's spelled in there. And most often, this word, Yara, is used in conjunction with the Lord, with Adonai. It's talking about Yara um, Adonai, the fear of the Lord. That's the most frequent usage. It's not the only usage of it in Scripture, but it's the most frequent usage of it in Scripture. So, I want you all to say the word Yara. Yara. Okay, so that's your Hebrew word that is referencing the idea of fear, okay? And when the Jewish translators um, made the Greek Septuagint, they chose to use the Greek word when they translated yara, they chose to use the Greek word phobos or phobio. Now you probably can get an idea because we have words in English that are rooted out of that, like phobia, to be afraid of something. So anything a phobia of anything. Um, the, that's, that's, you can already start to get how, how we get some of that language out of there. That's translating the Hebrew word yara there, is, is phobos or phobia. And so those are the primary two words we see in Scripture um, when we are reading about the fear of Adonai. We, some form of the word yara and some form of the word phobos or phobio. Now, those are just some of the technical words. From a, from a definition standpoint, um, the way I'm defining the fear of the Lord today is as the awe, the awe, A-W-E, awe that a person ought to have before God. It's, it's a fear that's conjoined with both love and hope at the same time. Now, I'm not suggesting that what I just said, this awe of a person that should, they should have before God, is, is the only way or even the most appropriate way uh, to understand the fear of the Lord. Um, the, the concept of the fear of the Lord is multifaceted, just like all of the gifts of the Spirit are. Um, and we could focus on different aspects of it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on this aspect of it today for my message. Um, I'm going to teach on the fear of the Lord in the sense of the, of the awe that a person should have before God. So when we read a verse like Psalm 33, verse 8, it says, Let all the earth fear Adonai, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. We get a very clear connection there of awe being connected to fear. The fear of Adonai is standing in awe of him. So we know that that's that fear in the sense of reverence and awe. And then we can read other verses that don't necessarily have that direct connection. And think about them in the sense of, well, what if we used this idea of reverence and awe in there? Like Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The reverence and awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that's the only definition of fear of the Lord, but it's a definition of the fear of the Lord. So we can think about that as the, the reverence and awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord there. Or Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 
fear God and keep his mitzvot, his commandments, or stand in awe and reverence of the Lord and keep his commandments. Now, you might hope that I would teach on real fear, like truly being afraid of something or someone today. Now, sometimes we are right to be afraid, such as when we have sinned. We are right to be afraid. Adam and Eve were appropriately afraid of God after they ate the forbidden fruit. They, that was appropriate fear then. They should have trembled in his presence. They hid themselves for a reason, because they were afraid. The threat of judgment should produce fear in us. It should. We know that God is judging the earth. In fact, right after Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 12.13, Fear God and keep his commandments, the very next verse says, God will bring every deed into judgment including everything that is hidden, whether good or evil. So we have this fear of the Lord tied to judgment, even right there in Ecclesiastes 12. But even beyond judgment, our fear of the Lord should be cultivated by this this awareness of God's magnificence. I want you to come with me to Jeremiah chapter 5 and look at this with me. Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah the prophet, speaking of God's just judgment, and starting in verse 22, he says, Do you not fear me, says Adonai? Do you not tremble in my presence? For I made the sand a boundary of the sea, an everlasting decree that cannot be broken. Though the waves roll, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot cross it. But this people have a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone astray. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear Adonai Eloheinu, the Lord our God, who gives rain in its season, fall rain and spring rain, who reserves for us the appointed weeks of harvest. I'm going to stop there. Because I was looking at that portion, and I was just kind of struck by the timing of of it as I was reading that. It reserves for us the appointed week of harvest, and I was just connecting to us. Okay, we're in this season of the counting of the Omer. So if we were in ancient Israel, agrarian Israel, um, we would be counting the bundles of the sheaves of the harvest right now, the spring harvest, and we'd be counting up to this day of Shavuot, and, and we would be still yet dependent on God giving the rain in its season. Now, we are still, we live in a very agricultural state that's also very dry right now. We are dependent on God giving its rain in its season. But we're instructed to fear Adonai, our God, who is the one who gives the rain in its season. Now, we've been praying, if you've come here on Wednesday night, we have been praying for rain, that the Lord would give give a drink to the dry and parched land that we have here. And it's appropriate for us to do that, for us to fear out an eye, to understand that he is the one who gives rain in its season. Yet, the prophet Jeremiah, he chides us if, if, it, if we have sinful hearts that have turned aside and not fear God. And so that's the question for us this morning. Have we revered him? 
Do we tremble in his presence? Do we understand what it is to fear the Lord? We can look at other examples in Scripture and see how they understood. We could look at Abraham, for example. He understood God's magnificence. He understood that. And in in acting on God's command, he went to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And in response to doing that, the angel of the Lord said to him, in Genesis 22, 12, he said, For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son. Now I know you fear God. He knew. Abraham had this awe, this reverence, this fear of the Lord, and that manifested himself in obedience to the Lord. It spurred, as Joe would have told us, to be a doer of Torah. It spurred him on to obedience in that way. And one of his uh, in similar generational peers, Job, he's introduced in Job 1.1 as perfect and just and one who feared God. That's, that's how Job is described. Perfect, just, and one who feared God and avoided evil even, it says. And, and it's that fear of the Lord that Satan was attacking. And Satan was telling God, he won't fear you. He's going to turn from, from you and he's going to curse you. And yet, Satan failed at that, right? We know, that, we know the end of that story. Satan failed. And God again acknowledges Job is the one who fears the Lord. If you look in Job 2.3, it says that, that God, God saw that Job and he acknowledged that Job feared the Lord. Now, those are a couple of examples from early in Scripture. If you go to the end of Scripture, you can look at the book of Revelation. Okay, John, when he was writing this while exiled on Patmos, he wrote about an angel proclaiming a message to all the earth saying, and then in Revelation chapter 14, he said, and he said with a loud voice, fear God... And give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. I was reading that this week and I was just, I was struck by its comparison to Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah, I'll reread that. It says, do you not fear me, says Adonai? Do you not, do you not tremble in my presence for I made the sand a boundary of the sea? We have this same imagery in our mind of this God who's the creator God, the judge of the earth. John is writing to us in the book of Revelation saying that we we must fear God. He's, He's telling us the announcement that that angel will have for us that's yet to come, but we can know it in advance and we can act on it in advance to fear God and give him glory. So those are some different contexts for the fear of the Lord that we that we read in Scripture, but yet there's one that I haven't mentioned that I really want to focus on today. So I want you to go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 33. Isaiah chapter 33. I'm going to read to you verses 5 and 6. Says, Adonai is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. It will be your time of faithfulness, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of Adonai is his treasure. You probably see some similarity to other words that 
Isaiah wrote, such as in Isaiah 11, talking about the fear of the Lord and tying wisdom and knowledge, things like that together, these, these gifts of the Spirit. But he says the fear, of the, the fear of Adonai is his treasure. And I was thinking about that. You know, we could debate whether the fear of Adonai is something of reverence and awe or something to be truly afraid or some mix, but do you see it as a treasure? Do you treasure the fear of Adonai? Do you talk about it like treasure, like something that you value? Like, I value my kids, I might talk about them. Other things that are valuable to me, I might talk to you about those things. Do I talk to you about the fear of Adonai? Something I find valuable, I find a treasure. And we should talk more and encourage each other in the fear of the Lord. That's one of the things I want to encourage you today, is that we shouldn't be encouraging each other in the fear of the Lord. But I want to explore why Isaiah would say that the fear of the Lord is a treasure. And so I want to go to Proverbs chapter 14 to explore that. So turn with me to Proverbs 14. In Proverbs 14, beginning in verse 26, it says, In the fear of Adonai, one has strong confidence. It will be a refuge for his children. The fear of Adonai is a fountain of life, turning one from the snares of death. The fear of Adonai has, in the fear of Adonai, one has strong confidence. It will be a refuge for his children. The fear of Adonai is a fountain of life, turning one from the snares of death. So let's explore some of those aspects of the fear of Adonai and why the fear of Adonai is a treasure. In the fear of Adonai, we have strong confidence. And do you like to be around people that are confident? And I'm not talking about like blind arrogance, okay? I'm talking about like genuinely confident people. They, they know what they're doing. Um, they, they have a trust in the, what, in the system they're using or whatever it is, but they're, they're confident. And it, you know, I like to be with them because it makes me feel better too about what I'm doing, especially if I'm new to something or somewhere. I like to be with someone who's confident. But I really like to be around believers who have a genuine confidence, a genuine assurance in the Lord, who are truly walking in the confidence and the faith of the Lord. And those are the, when I hear speakers that are speaking with that confidence, that assurance in the Lord, that really gets me motivated. That really gets me excited. And I think, I hope that you guys are the same way, that, that we know that, then, that those who fear the Lord have strong confidence in him. Now, I was preparing for this message. I actually called up Zach for this. And I was like, hey, you know, I want to know about this, this Hebrew word for confidence. How is it used in modern Hebrew? And because uh, the root word here is batak, bet, tet, chet. And, and uh, I was asking Zach about this. And he told me that there's variations of this word that, uh, that are used for things in modern Hebrew when talking about things like car insurance and health insurance um, or saying things like sure or sure thing. 
to, to others. And you know, I was like, okay, well, that really makes sense when you're thinking about this context of confidence. And the, because how many times have you guys seen like a, an insurance commercial? Um, you know, what's the slogan for Nationwide? Nationwide is on your side, right? That's trying to uh, give you an assurance, give you some confidence. You've got, a, you've got somebody who has your back, somebody who's on your side, um, somebody who has some strength. That's what, the, that's what the insurance companies want you to think, that you've got somebody who's there, who's, who's got strength, who will take care of things when things go bad, who will help you clean up the mess, who will restore you to wholeness when things aren't right. That's what the insurance companies want you to think. You have a confidence in them. And I know, then, in the fear of the Lord, I have a strong assurance. In the fear of the Lord, we are certain of who He is. Right? We are certain of who He is. We are certain of what He has done and where He is going, what He is doing, what He's going to do for us. We know we have a strength in the Lord to rely upon. So let's treasure the fear of the Lord for the strong confidence he brings. So that's the first one, strong confidence, but it's not just about confidence. In the fear of the Lord, we find refuge. It says the children of the Lord find refuge. Now, when I think of the idea of children, I often think about my own children, and certainly I'm concerned about my children having a refuge, finding, having a place of safety. When I think of refuge, I think of safety. That's the ideas that I think about. Now, my children aren't out of the house yet, but I imagine that even though, even when they get out of the house, I'll still be concerned about their safety, maybe even more than I am now, because they're out of my, out of my you know, direct sphere of influence. I'll still be concerned. But yet, if we train our children in the fear of the Lord, we know that He is their refuge. And we can be confident that He is their provider. He is, a, he is their shelter in ways that we can never be as parents. Even when they're in our direct sphere of influence. We can never be everything for them. And we have to train them in the fear of Adonai. The fear of the Lord. To be there to, so that He is their refuge. And the Psalms are really filled with examples of the Lord being our refuge. In Psalm 46, 1, it says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, 6, or 8, sorry. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Psalm 61, 3. Those are just a few examples. I, just, I want us to hear those and treasure the fear of the Lord as a refuge for us. For, not just for us, but for our children as well. For our grandchildren. Treasure the fear of the Lord as a refuge. And then the writer of Proverbs continued, though, in, in, back in chapter 14, 26, he talked about the fear of the Lord being a fountain of life. Now the word... In Hebrew, used for fountain is this word, kor, okay? um, meaning a spring or a fountain. It's this, this root, um, kosh vavresh. And, uh, and this has this idea of something bubbling up. Okay? That's the idea of 
of, of a fountain. Now, I, I was thinking about this root word and this idea of a fountain. I was remembering um, when I went to Israel in 2019 and a few places that we visited. Um, you probably are familiar with some of the more famous places, you, um, like En Gedi. There's a spring at En Gedi. Um, this is where David hid at one point in time. It's near the Dead Sea. Um, there's uh, the headwaters of the Jordan River that are rushing out of, out of the base of Mount Hermon. You go there, this is at, um, at Caesarea there, and you go there, and you literally, you can't, it just looks like there's this massive stream coming right out of the mountain. What, what's that? Banyas, sorry. Philippi. Yeah. Yeah, not the one by the coast. Yeah, different one, right. And it's, it's, it's right there. It looks like the, the waters are coming right out of the rock there. But the place I think of most that's really about this bubbling up is the Spring of Harad. Now, the Spring of Harad is a place that wouldn't necessarily get a lot of notice because it's a really tiny stream that comes out of it. It's at the base of Mount Gilboa. It's on the south. It's just south of Galilee, um, on the south side of the Jezreel Valley. Okay, if you go there to visit it, um, it's it is a it it's not very big, but it, it has prominence in biblical history because this is where the Lord shrank Gideon's army down to just three hundred soldiers. And so there's a, a video of the spring. That's that's what it is, right there. When you visit this spring, you can still see water bubbling up. Now, this is a pretty small, it's, like, it's almost like a shallow cave that's exposed to the flat ground around it. But when you go there, it is incredible to be reminded that the fear of the Lord is like a fountain of life. You can see this water continually bubbling up there. It's like a fountain of life, but it's also one of strong confidence too, right? Because if you're thinking about the story of Gideon there, and that night, Gideon did not have a large army when he left there. His confidence was not in his army, but his confidence was in the Lord. He had a strong assurance in the Lord because he feared the Lord there. So, thank you for that. We can shut off the video now, but you can, you can see there clear in the back, that's, that's about as big as it is, and it's really... That whole space that's bubbling up is no bigger than this area right here. Um, she asked if this is one of the locations if, where God pulled water from the rock during the Exodus. The answer is no, it's not. It is not. This is in northern, more northern Israel than where they would have been. This idea of the fountain, though, um, it's, it's found in the New Testament scriptures as well. Uh, we certainly would think of, of the Samaritan woman at the well that Yeshua spoke to in John 4.10, and he said to her, if you knew the gift of God, who is the one, who it is the, who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He's talking about that fountain of life there. We could look at Revelation chapter 21 and 22. In Revelation 21, 6, Yeshua said, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give 
freely give from the spring of the water of life. He's talking about that fountain of life. That, that, and when, when we are those who are with him in the end, those who have, he has said, well done, good and faithful servant, we will also be those who have feared the Lord, right? They're all tied together. And later in, in Revelation 22, uh, we, we see that imagery John describes for us. He said, the angel showed me a river, the water of life. He said, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city streets. On either side of the river was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the tree, leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. A fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. You guys see that imagery and you understand that? It's for your healing, too. The fear of the Lord is for your healing. It's to give you life in you. L'chaim! It's to give you life. The fear of the Lord is to give you that, though. Do you treasure the fear of the Lord as you would treasure a fountain of living water? Wouldn't you try and protect that? That was the fountain of living water? Wouldn't you value that? Do we, do we treasure the fear of the Lord in that way? So that's the third one that the writer of Proverbs shares with us. The fourth one, then, he says the fear of the Lord turns us from the snares of death. Now, if I operate in the fear of someone, right, if the opposite of the fear of the Lord would be if I'm operating in the fear of man, right? Now, we're warned often to not have fear of man, but to have fear of the Lord. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but the one who trusts in Adonai will be kept safe. The fear of man will be a snare. But if we trust, we have this fear of the Lord, we will be kept safe. In addition, we know that, that God warned the children of Israel many times about the idols of the land. He, he warned them that the idols of the land would be a snare to them. Even Gideon, who you wish he might have know, had heeded that warning already because he, he, his army was reduced there at that spring, he had confidence in the Lord, and God delivered in his confidence, and what did Gideon do? He won the battle, the spoils of the battle were brought, and he made an ephod out of the spoils of the battle. Judges 8.27 says, and all Israel prostituted themselves after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his household. Do we treasure the fear of the Lord to turn us from the snares of death, or do we treasure the treasures of the world? Do we, are we too enticed by them? Do we, do we want those things that are shiny and bright in our lives? That's, that's a question for us today. I really want us to, I want to encourage us today, I want to exhort us today, that we would be known as a body who treasures the fear of the Lord. That we could be known as a people who are able to pray like Nehemiah prayed in Nehemiah 1.11, where he said, Please, my Lord, let your ear be attentive to my prayer, to the, or to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. That the Lord would hear the prayer of his servants who delight in revering your name, in the fear of the Lord. Do you hear that? 
You're delighting. So that's, that's very similar language to having a treasure. Delighting in the fear of the Lord. Let us delight in the fear of the Lord. Let us treasure in the fear of the Lord. So who here fears the Lord? Do we fear the Lord? I hope that everyone does. I hope we all do. I, I hope that my message is encouraging you and exhorting you to a greater and deeper fear of the Lord this morning. The psalmist, he writes in, in Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4, he says, If you, Adonai, kept a record of iniquities, my Lord, who could stand? For with you there is forgiveness, that you may be revered, that you may be feared. So the fear of the Lord, then, is for those of us who have been forgiven. And again, I want to tie back to Joe's message about being doers of Torah. So we see this among those who are forgiven and fearing the Lord. There's a fitting example when Yeshua was eating with some Pharisees and he told them the parable, a parable of forgiveness and forgave a woman who was on the floor at his feet, wiping his feet with her tears and her hair. And when the Pharisees complained about it, he said, for this, to her, for this reason I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but those who have been forgiven little love little. It's in Luke chapter 7. Our forgiveness that leads to love through the fear of the Lord. In our, love, in our love, we are doers of Torah through the Spirit of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to draw us to a close today by going to Hebrews chapter 12. So let's turn there. I want to close us with some imagery. I want to close us with some imagery on what or who our God is. I'm going to start in verse 18. For some of you, you, the title of this section is Entering the Unshakable Kingdom. So we're going to read through the rest of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and storm, and to the blast of a shofar and a voice whose words made those who heard it beg for the, that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. So, terrifi- so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am quaking with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, a joyous gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are written in a scroll in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous ones made perfect, and to Yeshua, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of something better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse the one who is speaking, for if they did not escape the one when, the, when they refused the one who was warning them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now this phrase, yet once more, shows the removal of those things that are shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. 
Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. Through this we may offer worship in a manner pleasing to God with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now there's some people who like to believe that the God of the Old Testament is the God of judgment and wrath, and the God of the New Testament is one of grace and peace. But yet, I would argue that the author of Hebrews is reminding us that this is not the case. Um, the author is, of course, when we, the beginning of that portion, he's reminding us of Mount Sinai, of God at Mount Sinai in those, in those first verses. They, they, and they should bring to us, to our minds, that fear of the Lord, that fear of the Lord that we're treasuring and delighting in is, is not just a fear of God that's like you might uh, have of a person, okay? Again, we should not have fear of man, but only fear of the Lord. But it's, it's not like a, a relationship with another person. When we have reverence and awe for God, it's not like reverence and awe for another person or for a person of a certain position, Okay, the imagery that we see, that we read there, if I'm looking to this, I'm reading in verse 18 and 19, blazing fire, darkness and gloom and storm. Does that sound like just any person? It doesn't. The sound of the shofar, the blast of the shofar, and the voice whose words made those who heard it beg that not another word be spoken to them. Does that sound just like any other person? It doesn't sound just like any other person because it's not just any other person. That's Adonai. It's not just any other person. And that's, that's you know, there's a paradox there. You know, we want to, we have this, simultaneous desire to hear God's voice, yet we can't handle it. We can't handle hearing his voice. It's too much for us. It's too powerful for us. So we approach him with trembling and fear. This is, this is our God. He is like no other. Who is like you, O Lord? Mikamoka Adonai. Who is like you? There is no one else like him. We still worship the same God that was at Mount Sinai. Yet we have even greater access now. This is what he talks about. We, approach, we get to approach Mount Zion, not just Mount Sinai. We approach the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. We approach the throne of God surrounded by innumerable angels. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being there? It's the same God that Israel encountered around the mountain. And they trembled. And as we approach, even though we, yes, we are given access through Yeshua, we have to have, we must have this fear of the Lord with a proper dose of humility. Isaiah 66, verse 2 says, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We have to be approaching God with this sense of humility. We have to have this understanding of who God is. When, when you are in his physical presence, we can't handle it. This is, this is just, I mean, reading through this is just incredible. Because the warning continues in verse 25. It says, he says, See to it that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. You know, Moses and God, he gave them a warning. 
then. He spoke to them then. Israel didn't heed it. They were judged. And now it says, we have heard from the one who is greater. Greater than Moses. We have heard from Yeshua, the Son of God. And we know that his voice, it won't shake just the earth like it did at Mount Sinai. It says, his voice shakes the earth and the heavens. We can't even imagine that because we just have this physical world here. Now, I'm, I don't know if you guys have been in a severe earthquake before. I've never been in a truly severe earthquake. Gloria Grace is shaking her head back there. She has. I, the, the most severe earthquakes I remember, at least from my childhood, was I remember watching the uh, World Series. It was either in the late 80s or the early 90s. They called it the, I don't know, it was when Oakland was playing San Francisco. And there, there was a tremendous earthquake in the Bay Area. Collapsed bridges, lots of destruction. Of course, we've had more recent earthquakes, like the destruction in Turkey, more very recently. Tremendous, if you've seen any of the pictures, of tremendous destruction. But we can't even imagine that it's way beyond that. It's, it is so far beyond that. Shaking the heavens and the earth. Yet, we have assurance in here, and this is the good thing. The good news, this is the good news. We have assurance in here. Verse 28, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hallelujah. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So we worship with reverence and awe. We worship and we fear the Lord, for our God is a consuming fire. And I think about even the imagery of the consuming fire. I think about the burning bush, but the bush was not, the bush itself was not consumed there. We think about fire that consumed the sacrifices on the altar at the tabernacle. When the tabernacle was, was dedicated, when the temple was dedicated and the, and the, the sacrifice was consumed. We think about Elijah and the, his competition with the prophets of Baal and the fire that consumed everything around it, even though it was soaked with water. God is a consuming fire, but it wasn't just then. That, then God is a consuming fire now. And it's even more intense now. It's even more intense. And so I really want us to just have this imagery in our mind as we close today. I want us to consider that you know, sometimes we come, we come for worship, and we, we might come too casually. And I don't mean just coming here, but our general approach to God. We might be too casual at times. There are some congregations that are very casual in their approach to God. And I, and I don't mean like dressing, dressing casually or you know, walking in with your cup of coffee, you know, I don't, I don't mean like casual like that, okay? I'm talking about a heart attitude of casualness, where our approach to God is like, you know, going to Chipotle to build, build my burrito, where it's like, I want this and I want that and nothing else, right? It's, it's, they call it fast casual for a reason, it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a big formal place, And it's not real serious either. And when we, when we come and we approach God with a heart attitude and a mindset that's very casual, 
We're not prepared to be before a God who is described as a consuming fire, who's a God who's described as shaking the earth and shaking the heavens, whose voice we can't even bear to hear. We're not prepared to stand before God that way. So I'm, I'm emphasizing that strongly today. Because I want us to understand this holy God that we stand before. The heavens and the earth are going to shake, but his kingdom will not be shaken. His spirit is in us. Therefore, we need to be those who offer acceptable worship to God. That's what it says in verse 28. Through this we may offer, let us show gratitude. Through this we may offer worship in a manner pleasing to God. With reverence and awe. So that's with fear. May, may we, as a congregation, may we be a people that are more reverent. May we be a people that are more in awe, more operating in the fear of the Lord than we have ever, ever been. And that we would continue in that way. So that's my encouragement for you today. Serve out an eye with fear. Rejoice with trembling, it says in Psalm 211. Let's treasure the fear of Adonai. Let's treasure it. Let's delight in the fear of the Lord, rejoicing in his confidence and his assurance, treasuring in the refuge that he is for us and for our children. Let's delight in the fear of Adonai as the fountain of life and rejoice that he is the one and it is in him, the fear of him, that turns us from the snares of death. And even as the world around us shakes, and it will shake, and it's going to, and it's going to get worse, even as the world shakes, and as the heavens shake as well, that we would continue to treasure the fear of the Lord, to treasure the fear of Adonai, because we live, again, and a reminder, we live in an unshakable kingdom. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen.